0: surpass penetrating and perfect dharma it is rarely met
1: with even in a hundred thousand million kaphas having it to see and listen to to remember and accept i the, the truth of the words.
2: Good morning,
1: everyone. Morning. 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 Good
2: morning, Gary. Good morning. <laughs> Gary started practice in 1990 with a candle and the book being pieced by Thich Han. Slowly, he found his way to Burpees End Center through Tassahara, Green Gulch, and City Center. His primary teacher was Sojin Mel Whitesmith. He was lay ordained in 1997 and served as Shuso in 2022. He's held self, several practice positions, including Tenzo, Sushi director, head server, Jikido, etc. He enjoys traveling with his wife Emily, movies, and reading. Thanks for speaking with us today, Gary.
1: Thank you. Good morning, everyone. Good
0: morning. Good morning.
1: It's great to be here and have such a full house thank you for coming um my talk today is on um non-attachment and impermanence and um, um I, I always find doing these talks kind of interesting because i really have to plumb myself does this sound okay my my hearing's a little bit weird um, um I have to plumb my inner life to find, you know, to, to find things to talk about. And um, I just thought these were good subjects to start with. Um, one thing that happened when I had um, radiation, my my saliva glands were burned out. And so if I get hoarse, I'm going to probably be drinking a lot as I go. Um, just and hopefully you can hear me okay. Um, I'll do my best. I had something happen to me the other day. Um, I was driving in San Rafael and I came up to a stoplight and in the median was this older woman and she was really thin and her her clothing were were tattered and she just looked like she was on the street, She'd, she'd been living on the street. And she, she was holding up a sign and it said i need money, money from my mother's hospital bills now this woman was at least 10 or 15 years older than me so she had to be like in her like 80 85 and i i wanted to give her something and i thought for a second okay what do i have in my wallet i don't have any ones i have a 10 But I don't want to give her a ten, and so I I looked at the the glove compartment. I found a nickel and two dimes. I thought, well, I'll give her that change. So I rolled down the window, and she came over to me, and um, and I gave her. I said, I don't have much, but here. And you know, I was lying, and I gave her the two dimes and, and a nickel, and she was just so elated and so happy. And we met, and it was just like a like magic. We both smiled, and she said, "I love your smile. thank you, thank you so much." And um of course, later, I felt guilty, I felt I should have given her the ten dollars. but um you know, it was just such a moving moment to find that, and you know, this wasn't planned as part of my talk, and I just thought. Well, this is kind of part of my talk, because I, I really could let go of um, um, the idea of it having to be certain amount, it could be just a small little thing gesture that really moves another person. And I just felt like I really met with her when I, when I was there, or when that happened. Okay, so um, some introductory stuff, upika is a Pali word and it translates to indifference and um, disregard. Uh, But as a Buddhist concept, it is neither, it is, instead it is even mindedness, non-attachment and serenity. And it conveys that everyone should be treated impartially I'm going to move through some stories and try and and connect a common thread to the subject of non-attachment or letting go, and how impermanence plays a key role in dropping attachments. So why is it important to drop attachments, you might ask? Don't we need to attach to something to help see it through? I think making something an intention is healthier than an attachment. An intention to practice uh, one of the precepts, like right speech, may be one. Attachments are more like something that leads you around versus you being in the driver's seat. Holding anger is a common attachment, one that most of us experience jealousy, lust, fear are other examples. Also, there are good things that you can be attached to, like happiness, peacefulness, bliss, wanting to have a good Dharma talk. Come on, we gotta loosen up here. (laughs) (laughs) Wanting to have a good Dharma talk. Um, These also can be a hook. Letting go of them can prove useful. I practiced my talk with my wife, Emily. She thought that some of the writings I reference are difficult to know if it's my comment or the writings. So I'll try to cue you when I start and end a writing. First, I'd like to read you how Sojin Roshi, my teacher, responded to Lori's question about dying. Note that he uses the first person uh, pronoun. He uses I a lot in this. Sojin responded, I am able not to hang on to anything. That is my secret. I believed my teacher when he said, don't get caught by anything. I really believed it. And then not only did I believe it, I started to act it out. So that's where I'm at. Don't get caught by anything. I'm able to not dwell on something. The news is what the news is. My anger is what my anger is. That's all. And I try to do what I can to assuage my and everybody's anxiety. I don't have much anxiety. I'm going to die. I'm on my way. What should I do? Worry about it? Everybody does this. Nobody escapes. This happens to every single person that ever lived. What should I worry about? What's there to worry about? I'm just not that kind of person. That is what I decided when I was young. I said, I'm gonna live my life all the way up to the end. And when it's time to go, I go. That's part of life. Life is death. So we experience it every moment. There we are. The next moment, there were not. This happens every moment. That's the end of the reading. And um, that's one of uh, Sojin's expressions of uh, letting go or um, non-attachment and how he manifests it within. Now, another term that I wanted to clarify for people who are new here or maybe have um, haven't heard this, but Sesshin is a name for our long day or multi-day retreats. Uh, it was a, it's a name adopted from Japan, and I heard it translated as touching the heart. I'm sure there's other translations of some of that. Um, I'd like to tell a story about Sesshin, um, uh, about something that happened to me. So so this Zen student, me, <coughs> enters the gate and checks the seating chart, and then checks the job listings. You do this before each day begins to get your work assignment and see. and am trying out. <laughs> so, uh, where was I? Um,
0: Checking your work assignment, see. <laughs> okay.
1: I see I'm assigned to be Zazen instructor. I look again, and I'm also assigned to be Fukudo. A Fukudo is a person who keeps pace of the chants by drumming the wooden fish. I look again and see I'm assigned as a work leader. (laughs) This is the person who assigns and follows up on work during the work period. My heart and mind are charged. How can I possibly do all these positions, I ask myself. I pause and wait outside for any arriving folks who come for Zazen instruction. While waiting, I take a piece of paper out and write down the names of the participants in Sashin. I start assigning positions that I know I need to fill for the work period. Still, no one has shown up for instruction. The Sashin director who assigns initial positions is on the porch, so I approach him and ask, how can I do Zazen and be back for chanting and do the drumming position? The director suggests, being brief in the instruction. (laughs) okay i say by now i'm frazzled i wait and wait take a deep breath and decide to do one thing at a time that's all i can do anyway i think doing zazen or seated meditation helped me to drop that mindset nobody nobody shows for zazen instruction Phew, one position down. <laughs> I go go into the Zendo for service and chanting. During the prompt for the chant, which is kind of like we call it an ornament. It's kind of you you're reciting the title of the chant. Um, I take out the striker and suddenly a big arm reaches over and settles on my shoulder, and the doan says, Lo Fukudo.
0: <laughs>
1: it ended up the drumming was not needed for the noons or was not needed. It's only needed for the noon service. Two positions down all as well. <laughs> Skipping ahead to the work period. And this task went relatively uneventful. Ah, the end of my positions. I go home that day and reflect a little on how funny it was, I had some angst about having to cover these three positions. Well, that's not it. The next morning, I think more about it, and it, in quotes, becomes this anger and pain that sticks with me. Finally, I decide to call the director and give voice to my troubles. After explaining how I I mistakenly saw potential for problems, and how later they resolved themselves, it became a mute issue. Yet I was still feeling I had to give voice to it. The director explained how he viewed me as a go-to guy for positions that are hard to fill. My sense of self inflated. (laughs) And now he, the director, had just, and how he, the director, had just returned from a memorial for his mother and was frazzled himself. Ouch! Now I'm more. Now I have more than a touch of guilt. That's kind of the end of it. We, we both expressed our respect for holding the positions. He apologized for over overbooking work, and I voiced sorrow for his. Uh, for over-exaggerating the conflict and his loss of his mother. I paraphrase Ron Nestor here. He once said, just trust the Sashin director and do what he or she says. I see Sojin's expression of not clinging as a direct practice of just not picking up or hooking into all he encounters my letting go is a bit more process oriented i don't see one as better than the other i see them both as needed depending on the circumstance i see i think sojin would agree but i don't know for sure i have to say that having been around sojin for so many years i felt him embodying the practice of not clinging. You could just feel it in all his actions and demeanor. Here's a Zen story that I find uh, that finding priests, excuse me. Here's a Zen story that demonstrates finding peace through non-attachment or letting go. It's a Zen parable called Heaven and Hell. A tough brawny samurai once once approached a Zen master who was deep in meditation. Impatient and discourteous, the samurai demanded in a voice, so it was force. Tell me the nature of heaven and hell. The Zen master opened his eyes, looked at the samurai in the face and replied with a certain scorn. Why should I answer a shabby, disgusting, despondent slob like you? Oh. <laughs> a worm like you do you think i should tell you anything i can't stand you get out of my sight i have no time for silly questions the samurai could not bear these insults consumed with rage he drew his sword and raised it to sever the master's head at once looking straight ahead into the samurai's eyes the master tenderly declared that's hell The samurai froze. He immediately understood that anger had him in his grips. His mind had created his own hell, one filled with resentment, hatred, self-defense and fury. He realized that he was so deep in torment that he was ready to kill someone. The samurai's eyes were filled with tears, setting his sword aside. He put his palms together and deeply bowed in gratitude for the insight. The Zen master gently with a delicate smile said, that's heaven. I love these Zen stories. That's what I think a lot of our grasping comes down to something like the story stories I offered the fabrication in our mind and the clinging of them as if real sojin and suzuki roshi express expression of don't get caught by anything is a practice we can all lean into i'm not suggesting that we not say anything you may need to speak up if in some way it helps the practice of not being caught by anything i.e. my exchange with the session director is a letting go several times. Once when I decided to do one thing at a time. The second when I realized my positions were complete. And finally, when I spoke the next day to the session director. Just at the bow to that. It was a turning moment. Um, here's another reading and it's from the Shobo Genzo, Zuimoki, that I found is
0: kind of, um,
1: the reading doesn't really speak as much to it, but the footnote does, but I'll, I'll do the reading and the footnote. Uh, the the Zuimoki <coughs> book consists of Dharma talks of Dogen Zenji, who transmitted Soto Zen to to Japan, and then, of course, it came to us. These talks were originally recorded by uh, Koan Enjo Zenji, uh, Dogen's Dharma successor. Dogen instructed, so here we go, students of the way, let go of body and mind and enter completely into the Buddha Dharma. An ancient said, at the top of a hundred foot pole, How do you advance one step further? In such a situation, I think we would die if we were to let go, or we think that we would die if we let go of the pole. And so we cling firmly to it. Saying advance one step further means the same as having resolved that it would not be bad and let go of bodily life. How should we give up worrying about everything? Well, no, we should give up worrying about everything, from the art of living to our livelihood. Unless we give up such things, it's impossible to attain the way, even if we seem to be practicing earnestly as if trying to extinguish a fire enveloping our heads. Just let go of body and mind in a decisive manner, now the footnote is uh, a Japanese term, term, "Hogan," which translates to "let go of body and mind." So listen to this: "Hogan" in Japanese means to let go, throw away, give up, abandon, lay, probably lay down. I'll turn the page. Lay down, etc. Someone asked Joshu, I have nothing, how is that? Joshu replied, throw it away. I'll say it again. Someone asked Joshu, I have nothing, how is that? Joshu replied, throw it away. The the Pali term for impermanence is, Antika, I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing that right. Correct me if I'm wrong. Um, it's the belief that all things, including the self, are impermanent and constantly changing. The first of the three marks of existence in Buddhist um, thought uh, the three marks are impermanence, suffering or dissatisfaction, and no self. So in thinking about not getting caught or non-attachment, we have to bring in impermanence, I think. I view non-clinging and impermanence as complementing each other. If you can realize the impermanence of all states and all things, then non-attachment may become easier. How do I see that? we 're all in an ever-changing swirl of events, causes and conditions that we face moment by moment. if you 're in a relationship with someone, you each turn and are being turned by each by each other so so how do you find your center in that in this swirl? I find that uh, finding my breath. In this activity, helps me to put down what comes up, so I can look at uh, look look at it more clearly. Putting it down doesn't mean that or means a lot of different things. It could be saying, "Can we wait to discuss this? Can we pause?" It could mean remaining open to what is happening or being said, and deeply listening to the other person before responding. In the end, it's best to put it down and let go of your clinging in a world that is impermanent. How else can we stay present? Confusing as it may be, we have a choice. Live in your fabricated clinging or set down what you're clinging to and embrace the present and open to what is. Big questions come up around war, exploitation, racism, environmentalism, and other of the world's problems. How do we let go of these when they are so harmful? I don't see that as really possible. But strictly speaking, to create an unbiased self, we do need to set them down gently and then pick them up, pick them back up when necessary. Can you really create an unbiased self? Probably not. But through deep listening, you can try and do your best. You need to decide when to set it down and when to pick it up. It takes empathy to hear the other side. This is a topic much larger in scale than I have time to address or skill to do so. So I have another story. My 50th high school reunion. Letting go is fine, but I think it's nice to have context. to to have friendship and community. I recently went to my 50th high school reunion, my first reunion in 50 years. I had folks come up to me and describe how they remembered me. Eight out of 10 men said they remembered me running, uh, running in town with ankle weights on my legs. I did this to train for basketball. Maddie was my high school bus, or was my bus riding pal for most of uh, grade school through high school. We commiserated on the subjects we discussed, and we both recalled some of the same memories. One woman came up to me and said, we dated as freshmen, and I broke up with you after one date. I asked if we danced, and she said yes, and we kissed. I said, we kissed and you broke up with me? (laughs) Some vanity there. (laughs) I mentioned this little story to say that letting go is not forgetting. It's more like setting down the attachments and moving on. The context of our history or interactions are important to learning how we arrived at the present moment and to have warm feelings. I experienced great warmth from my classmates and warmth I was giving that, and the warmth I was giving was astounding to me. It's interesting because I left the East Coast where, I'm, you know, where I was born, um, partially to escape the history of my past and to get a fresh start. I just kept in touch with family and let go of my high school friends. So going back to the reunion and reconnecting with, with them gives one hope of how resilient the connections are. I walked away for 50 years and then just picked up the thread of connection. Another practice of letting go is to let go into something. So there is a, 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 a so there is a beneficial result. This sounds a bit like gaining idea, but maybe it, and maybe it is, but it's better than being caught. An example might be when you let go of fear into a sense of safety or a sense of relaxation. Forsaking the need to be right, that's a big one, or to have one's opinion justified Can allow a person to settle into feeling of peace. Letting go of thoughts uh, uh, no, letting go of thoughts might allow us to open to a calmer mind. By letting go into something beneficial, we can make letting go a bit easier. The 12th-century Japanese Zen master Dogen writes, "Impermanence is itself through the nature." I'll say that again impermanence itself is buddha, is itself buddha nature how do i see that that deeply realizing the impermanence of life is the cornerstone of being free and impartial to life circumstances i don't mean we ignore what we're facing we just have the wherewithal to put things down in order to see Somehow I don't think this interpretation is enough. He's pointing maybe to his radical view that we are born with Buddha nature, and yet we we need to practice to uncover it. As in basketball, practice is key to playing well and teamwork. So too, Sangha helps with the support to stay on the path. I wanna say a little something about the Diamond Sutra. Carol, Susan, and I have been studying it for about two or three years. We're using Red Pines translation, which is, and we're about three quarters way through. Now that book is about this thick. The sutra is only like 50 pages. It's only like this big, but the commentaries are huge. Um, And we only meet every three weeks. So that's the reason it's taking us that long. Um, if I were to say anything about it, I'd say that Buddha is telling his students sub- 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 to not to cling to any concepts or mental formations. When I read it, I can see both the Heart Sutra and Dogen's teaching in it. I recommend it.
0: I'm blow my nose here.
1: I'd like to read something on impermanence. It's called, Do We Really Believe in Impermanence? And it's by Carol Wilson. I don't know if anybody's ever heard of her. Raise a hand. Okay. Um, Carol writes, we respond like this grasping Our own bodies, to people we love, to our relationships changing, to losing a job, even down to your niece starting to hurt in the middle of a sitting. Our basic response, even though we know all conditions are subject to change, is something has gone wrong and this is changing. If I can figure it out, I can stop it from happening. Isn't that? Isn't that often how we end up responding? And in that response, we suffer sometimes enormously. And even though I've seen it a thousand times, it's still not so easy for me to get the the fact that the suffering is not about the change itself. The suffering, if you get right down to it, is about my reaction to the change. It is my denial, my lack of acceptance, my basic not wanting to feel pain or loss. I'll pause for a second. I'd like to pause this reading of carols to stress the importance of zazen. I see it as a gateway to how attachment and aversion can arise and drop away. I didn't say that right. I see it as a gateway to how attachment and aversion arise and drop away. How do I see that by taking your seat and simply allowing mental, uh, mental attractions and mental aversions to come and go freely? So more on Carol. Carol. Carol continues. Why are we conditioned the way we are? It's a habit of mind. We crave the pleasant and can't stand have something we don't like here we're stuck it's not the truth but it's our habit and it's a deep habit we cling even though we all know rationally that the problem is not the change the problem is our clinging but that doesn't stop us for one minute it's our very grasping at phenomenal experience as it passes the external or the so-called inner internal are looking always for a resting place that that provokes the suffering in our life. It can be very hard to recognize, but freedom comes not from finding somewhere to rest, but from no longer needing to look for some place to rest. There's a wonderful quote in the Diamond Sutra, which says, he abides in peace who does not abide anywhere. That's the trick. To give up the search for abiding or resting and to stop the flow somewhere. The search that actually keeps the sense of anguish going. It's the search itself for somewhere to rest, usually in the pleasant, not the present, the pleasant that is profoundly unsettling. So the most we can do is abide in this moment, just as it is without clinging, without resistance, because in the next moment, there's something else. It's all part of the flow. In other words, there's no fixation. There's no landing. There's no yearning. There's no grasping of any experience. When you're not this, When you are not in this, nor in that, then you're not abiding anywhere. There's only the simplicity of experience, seeing, hearing, smelling, tasting, sensing, feeling the body and mental activity, the present moment. That's the end of her write-up. Pretty lengthy, but sorry about that. Um, I know grasping for things to be difficult all too well. Post-cancer treatment has left me in a real not-knowing state. This should be good for a Zen student, no? Not knowing is most intimate. It pulled the rug out from my identity. What I fabricated before cancer was a shining, helpful practitioner. Now I have to let go into being okay with being just okay. Being me with whatever comes up. This shifted my view in a matter of weeks. So there's my life koan to practice with now. I'll finish with this one thing. My koan in the spring 2022 practice period was disease, disease, disease and medicine subdue each other. The whole world is medicine. What are you? I'll be bold and say we we are the embodiment of the whole world, the cure for the whole world by not clinging, not attaching, letting go. And we are the disease, clinging, attaching, holding on. That's all we are, that is you. I can see Unman's nostrils flaring and saying, no, no, no.
0: <laughs> that's all I have.
1: Any questions? I think we have some
2: time. We, we do. We have about 15 minutes for
0: questions. I'll bring this microphone, out. and if you see folks online, feel free to ask them as well. Okay. Oh. Hi, Peter. Hi Gary, uh, thanks very much for your
2: stories. They're of enlightening, and uh, I, I need to apologize
1: for my phone going off just then. It was interesting that coincidence that I was just thinking about it. Maybe I should turn it off. You know? <laughs> <laughs> but what I really wanted to ask you about was there was one part early in your lecture where you read something that Susan had written or said or something like that. Response to a question from Laurie. Oh yeah, and I was wondering what that question was. Oh, it was. Look, it was just about his about dying. Oh,
0: just what are your thoughts on
2: death? Yeah. The, que- the question Laurie asked Sojin was, now that you're diagnosed with cancer, has anything changed about your
0: um, feeling of death, about death? Thank you, Ross. Mm-hmm. Thanks, Ross. And what was his reply? I wasn't here to hear it, I'm
1: sorry. Pardon me? What was Sojan's reply? Re... re- What was his response? Response. Oh, it's pretty long. I I I can give it to you later if you if it's okay. Okay. Sure. Ross. Hey,
2: Gary. Hi. Um, at the beginning of your t- near the beginning of your talk, you spoke about intention, and I'm wondering if you could uh talk about the difference between intention and atta- and attachment. You mentioned intention briefly around that yeah i I, okay. yeah. I
1: I think um I think of of intention as a a bigger uh vow kind of, to to move in a certain direction, where attachment is more like something you're grabbing onto and want, and you mm-hmm. know, you will not be happy unless you achieve it. Where intention is more like, well, I'd like to practice right speech, and I'm gonna, you know, I may make mistakes in my speaking, but that intention does not end just because I, I made a verbal true, true bar
0: okay
2: so it sounds it's it sounds like uh setting the intention is like a um an orientation in practice, and then if the intention is um found or realized then the that is uh, a setup like for attachment like this is what I intended, and now I've got it, something like that.
1: Well, it can, yeah, your intention can, um, can become an attachment, I guess. If, if you, but it, but, you know, I, I would think generally an intention would be something that's wholesome, that you want to, um, practice something that, um, um,
0: That's kind of helpful in the world. It's um, a good question. I haven't thought that deeply about it. Um,
1: maybe it's better to define attachment. An attachment might be something like a, a strong, a greediness and desire, where an intention is more like a, um, to be not greedy, not, it, not desire. Yeah, to be not greedy, not desire, not to um, strive. You know, it's, it's tricky because, you know, you do have to work at certain things to achieve certain, like in the arts or in public speaking or whatever, you know, so there is.
2: We need to work on that together. <laughs> <laughs> Thank
0: you, Gary. Sure. Yes. Oh, I'm sorry. And then Margot, Gary has, uh, having had cancer, uh, changed your practice toward permanence.
1: What was the last part? Changed my practice?
0: Toward impermanence.
1: Oh, how has it?
0: Yeah.
1: Um, it made me see how um, unimportant some things we do or um, how how certain things are so really dumb (laughs) (laughs) that you know when you're kind of in the throes of life and death you kind of feel you know why are you worrying about that you know what what is the big deal so it, it kind
0: of made me see Having trouble answering questions today. Um, to not get so caught up in things, you know, to. Um, there's more important things than these trivial matters, you know. It kind of showed me that. Is that good? okay, yeah. Marco? I was wondering if you could speak about um, this kind of how you hold this welcoming of some kind of memories or some context for your personal history and some idea of like how you arrived in this place, um, if that makes sense. And also what uh, David like talks about in Zazen, of like Zazen as this vow of like. Can you the oh
2: yeah sorry sorry um my question is about um or I'm wondering if you could speak about um what you touched on with holding some idea of personal history and our memories and like connection and like following that thread of connection with some of what Dogen talks about as zazen is like this
0: vow of dropping everything um how those two things kind of show up in your life, although they might seem. I see what you're saying. So kind of like um,
1: the the, uh, the non-clinging and your personal history, like how do you balance that with Dogen's drop everything, drop body and mind? I just see it as um, dropping body and mind is impermanent too, and you need to have context throughout life to make decisions. So it's almost like the relative and the absolute have to are are inner an interplay there. The relative being.
0: context, I
1: need context and understanding. And I need to um, deeply listen. And then the absolute dropping into, you know, dropping into emptiness, dropping into letting go. That's how I see the, the two playing out. Okay.
0: Good question. Joe?
1: Oh, we got some online. Mm-hmm. I wanted to follow up on your response to Cheryl. What are the important things? What? you said, uh, in response to, what did you learn from impermanence? That some things were trivial, but a lot of things that were trivial. Oh, what is it, what was important? Like it, the, the things that you saw were trivial. What was it that was left? What was it that you found important? <laughs> oh, um, well taking care of my body, um,
0: take care of my mind I have an anxiety and
1: sadness and stuff around it. You know, in, in, in some way I feel separate because of cancer, you know, it, I, I found that kind of separateness and, um, and it's hard to, hard for me
0: to feel apart. Not a part, not a part. It's hard for me to feel a part. I don't know I'm not really answering your question now, am I?
1: Um, so I have to work at that. And you know, if, if, you, if you see things as being trivial, and not, why should you worry about that? That separates you in a, in a
0: way. Sounds like taking care of your life yeah. is what was important. Right. And everybody around me, you know, in, in my life. That's your life. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Thanks. Sure. Okay. We have someone online here, Nick. Hey, you go Hi. I Nick was Robinson
1: okay how are you i'm doing good i Thanks. was uh, impressed that you spoke up to the session director <laughs> and uh, you know told, told them about your experience with your job assignments yeah, and, you, know. Uh, you know you could have you could have said to yourself i'm just attached to some expectation that I, or desire i had for how my job assignments would play out and you could have told yourself just you know gary let go of that you know but instead uh you uh saw an opportunity to to make some kind of connection yeah and to uh give voice to uh your experience so my question is how did you get there how did how did you choose to do that um well, I was sitting in the living room, uh, this, we have a small living room where I was sitting there with my wife and I was saying, you know, it, it bothers me what happened. And uh, she said, well, why don't you call him? And talk to him. Why don't you talk to him? And I said, I thought for a while about it. And then I said, yeah, I am going to call him. You know, I have to admit Rob and I go to go to breakfast every once in a while. He was the session director for that. And so it wasn't that hard for me to, wasn't like a cold call that I didn't know the person. So, um, but I also felt like this could really separate. I was worried that this could really cause separation between him and I, because I like having, a, having friends, right? Everybody does. And uh, so I was car- careful about it. You know, I wasn't, maybe I, um, so that's kind of how I did, that's how I got to it
0: in a sense. Um,
1: and I found it worthwhile. And I also asked him before I put it in the talk, if it would be okay. Cause I, I felt like he might not want me to to bring it up. And he he was fine with it. I don't know if Rob is online or not, but um, I told him that he's in the tar. <laughs> thanks for that example. Does that answer your question kind of? Yeah. Good job. OK, thanks. I see Nick swimming every once in a while. <laughs>
0: <laughs> don't be afraid to ask them.
1: Especially anything from the new people oh we have a, oh yeah I, got, I can't see one more question and then we'll okay sure hey
0: Hi, Gary
1: long time no see long time no see good, good to, see to see you. you up there
2: should, should I, I take this down sure but okay. that,
1: that will help me
0: um, just on the um, topic of your talk. Thank you so much for your talk. Um, This image
2: of
1: you cooking porridge for breakfast uh, came to mind and um, I don't really know what the, I feel like sometimes there was some um,
2: playful response going back and forth with you and Sojin around breakfast and the results of cooking and I don't know. So I just wanted to um, ask an open-end question if you have anything to share about the experience of
0: cooking in, in our practice around non-attachment or
1: if any um, no, I cooking polenta porridge for breakfast and that came to my mind. Um, that makes sense. Well, you know, I think I tend to cook where I have a recipe and then I I play with the recipe a little bit, so there's kind of an impermanence in about um, the amount of ingredients and um you know kind of how what can I get away with in not using this or doing that or adding this or or subtracting that um, that's one thing in impermanence um
0: you know we're very schedule oriented so we have
1: times we have to meet and i tend to work backwards in cooking so i know i have to be done at a certain time and then i uh, see how i can fit all the pieces into that so there's kind of an impermanence there there's no clear and i'm ready to adjust that that's a that's a key thing, because, you know, it's like driving, you know, driving is so imper- so much impermanence going on, you don't know what's going to happen, who's going to come in front of you. Um, is that a good, good answer for you? Yes,
0: definitely. Thank you, Gary. Sure. Okay, we should finish up.